morning again, everyone. Hey, I got a couple of just really quick announcements I want to give you before we jump into the message today. Uh, the first one is next, or not next Monday, tomorrow, LVR camp that we've been talking about for the past several months is finally here. We have about 30 students right here in coastal Chesapeake going to LVR for summer camp this week. So I want to challenge you to pray for them um, as you're going about this week. Pray that God would just meet them there and move in their lives. Um, they'll be joining all of our campuses. We have just a little bit over 100 students going um, to camp and there's something about just taking that time and, again, moving away from your regular environment to have these times to focus on your relationship with God. So we're just really praying that God moves in the lives of our students and our leaders. So make sure you pray for that. Um, and then next Sunday's communion. Um, make sure that you're here. We're going to be taking communion together as a church and make sure you're here for next Sunday. And then, of course, I want to take a moment. I want to celebrate all of the dads. If you are a dad, just raise your hand up. Raise your hand up. We want a grandfather dad. We want to celebrate you. Uh, we praise God for the dads. And dads, I want you to know that today is a yes day for you, okay? Anything you want today, your family has to say yes. <laughs> You don't want to take out the trash. You say, I don't want to take this out. They have to say yes. You want to eat nothing but beef for the rest of the day. The answer is yes. <laughs> Anything you want, dads. And then, of course, we still have some donuts out there to celebrate dads. And, guys, I prayed all the sugar, all the calories, all the carbs out of every single one of those donuts. They are holy donuts, literally manna <laughs> from heaven today. So eat as much as you want. Um, on the way out today, but man, we praise God for the dads. Today, I've asked the Hunter Boone to join me in bringing the next part of this message series out of the book of James. And Hunter, you recently had a pretty big life experience happen in your life. What was that event and how has it been going for you? Yeah, so uh, we've talked about it a pretty good amount here. And so uh, I feel like most of you are aware, uh, but if you're not, I am so excited to share with you that I actually got a new smoker, and I'm getting so good at smoking. I'm telling you, they're delicious. They're oh, so that, good. That's good to know. Um, he got married, too, in case you guys um, didn't know. I, mean, I don't see your wife here today. You guys need to talk about anything? You need to, um, she didn't like the ribs. I told her to stay home. Okay, that's good. He's just messing around. We guys, one of the things I love about our church is that we are a mentoring, developing church. And, man, this is a call on Hunter's life. And um, as we just continue to grow, man, we want to help him grow and to flesh out this calling in his life as well. So we are both really honored to bring to you the next part in this series on James. Church, our choices form our character. It was the writer of Proverbs that said, for as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. It was St. Augustine who said, by servitude to passion... Habit formed, and habit to which there is no resistance becomes necessity. By these links, a harsh bondage held me under restraint. Now, what Augustine was actually talking about was how this lustful pattern of thought had developed in his mind. And that lustful pattern of thought transformed into his actions, and so from his mind to his actions, it started to form who he was and even held him under this restraint, this bondage, until he met Jesus. And Augustine was also talking about reminding us what it meant. We need to understand, look, the things that we're putting in our mind, what we're thinking about, it is leading somewhere. 
In fact, I want you to think about it this way. I want you to think, look, mind to thought, thought to action, habit to character. There is a pathway of patterns that are developing in our life. When we think about mind, it's what are the things that we're actually putting in our mind right now. And when we think about thought, what are the things that we're thinking about that are rolling around in our mind? How we're thinking about life, the world around us, the thoughts that have come into our mind. Not only that, those thoughts, they translate into actions. How we're responding to the world around us. And those actions become habits. Again, the patterns that we're forming in life and those habits will become our character, our identity, who we are and who we are becoming. What is the condition of your faith right now? What patterns are forming in your life right now? Because those patterns are an indication of the very direction that your life is going right now in this season. And whether you're 11 years old or whether you're 91 years old, you are developing or even living in patterns of behavior that you have established. And those patterns are either taking you closer to who you were created to be or they're taking you farther away. You know, there's a trend right now in our world, um, even in the church, where people are deconstructing their faith. And they're looking at Jesus as a problem. And they're looking at the Bible as a problem. And see, look, I have no problem when people are wrestling with doubts. I have no problem where people are even questioning their faith and the things that we believe. In fact, the Apostle Paul even told us to do this. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, look, Paul says, look, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He says, test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Philippians chapter 2, he says, look, work out your salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Church, we want to challenge you today to work it out, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but also to examine the very condition of your faith right now on this day. Some of you right now have been in a season of doubt, wondering, look, does God really love you? What is it that God is even asking me to do? Is all of this Jesus stuff real? Do I really need to commit my life to all these things that God tells me to do, especially when it seems like the world around me, everyone around me is doing the exact opposite? Are the doubts that I feel, is the way that I feel, is this real? I just want to challenge you, doubt your doubts and trust the Savior. Even if you're in a season of wrestling right now, you still need an anchor Let Jesus be the anchor even as you're wrestling with those doubts. Examine your faith. Examining your faith is good, but even in that, you need to look to the God who is still good. Yeah, church, so this morning we're going to be going through James chapter 2, and if you've been with us over the past few weeks as we've been going through this James sermon series, you've probably noticed that James's point is that our minds, uh, his, his goal is to get our minds and our thoughts heading in the right direction. So what is the right direction? What are some of the things that we've been looking at the past few weeks? First and foremost, we seek wisdom from God. And what were we just singing about? He's faithful to give us the wisdom that we seek for. Another one, God is good. God is always good. Even in the midst of a trial, God is trying to bring you joy and blessing. 
And better yet, there's still more joy yet to come. And so what James has been trying, his help, hit, trying to help his church to see, as well as our church, what he's trying to help us both see is that our thoughts are constructing patterns in our lives, so we need to keep our thoughts moving in the right direction. That's right, church. Remember, look, mind to thought, thought to action, action to habit, habit to character. And the rest of this letter in James is all about that action to character to habit part. It's all about really getting us to see, to examine our faith, to see, look, if these things that we say that we really do believe, these things that we've really been thinking, are they matching up with how we are living? We need to examine to see if we're really in the faith and examine the real condition of our faith. In fact, I want to challenge you right now, okay, to turn to the person that you're sitting next to. I want you to look them in the eye, and I want you to say to them, look, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Come on, man, check yourself How? before you wreck yourself. Church, you need to examine yourselves. See if you are in the faith. You need to work it out. Well, church, James is showing us three different conditions of faith that we can have as followers of Jesus Christ. But not only is he showing us three different conditions of faith, he's showing us something else too. He's showing us it's important for us to see where we are so that we can see where we're going. That's right. Now, sometimes the biggest lie, and I'm speaking from experience here, um, sometimes the biggest lie we can believe as Christians is to believe that, you know, I'm good. Hey, I showed up to, the, to church this morning. It's even Father's Day. Shoot, I filled out the, the Connect card. This is like the fifth time I've done it. I'm not getting a Chick-fil-A gift card. I'm just doing it because they're telling me to, right? Wow. So you've literally checked the box. You need to pray about that. Yeah, you need that, to pray about so. that. You've literally checked the box and you're just going through the motions. And speaking from experience, sometimes the biggest lie we can believe is that our faith is good, that we're just good. So let's go ahead and read the passage together. I want to highlight the three real conditions of faith that we can exemplify as followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith actually save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, but even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is uh, useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead. So also faith, apart from works, is dead. Let's pray together. Father, this is God breathed. Lord, your word is good for every season. And I pray, God, it is, again, so clear what we're reading here in James. 
But Lord, I pray that on this Sunday, God, right here in the middle of summer, God, help us to slow down for a moment. Help us, Lord, to examine our hearts. Lord, you say in Psalm 139, Lord, David said that, that we should have you search our hearts and search them again. Reveal to us any wicked way in us, any way that is apart from you. So God, even in this, even if we think right now it was all good, and it just might be, Lord, examine our hearts. Help us to see the truth. And Lord, that same freedom that comes from you, God, even if we've experienced before, God, would you do that again? God, help us to live in the way that you've called us to, to really live for you. Lord, there's no better place to be than to have our, our lives, God, our hearts, minds or actions humble before you trusting in you following you so lord help us lord as we go through this to live authentically help us to see lord where we really are in jesus name amen church three real faith conditions that's what we're going to be covering today and the first one we're going to look at is a faith that's not working that's your first bullet a faith that is not working. Now, in the first two sentences of this passage, James lays out some really, really serious, really weighty claims, okay? So let's go ahead and read 2.14. He says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have any works? Okay, so we've got a picture that James is painting here of a person who claims to be a follower of Jesus. This person's not actually doing any following. The, the love, of, love for Christ that they have in their life, there's no outward expression of that. There's no outward expression of their faith. And so I think when we read the next question that James asks, it can kind of trip a lot of us up. Um, so I want to be really careful as we, as we go into this. This is what James asks next. He says, can that faith, the one that's not actually exemplifying anything, can that faith actually save him? In other words, what James is saying here is that person is not saved, okay? Let's not make a mistake. He's saying that person is not saved. But here's the problem. James has brought faith and works in really close proximity to salvation. Now, a lot of us probably pretty used to seeing faith and salvation go hand in hand. We're pretty used to that, so we don't bat an eye. But when we see works moved that closely to salvation, I mean, there's probably alarms and buzzers going off. I mean, you know, when I read this for the first time, I was thinking, no, 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 that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel that I know. Because I know that Paul says in Ephesians that, that salvation, that uh, faith is not by works so that no one can boast. In fact, his whole point in Romans um, is justification by faith, and now it seems like James is saying justification by works, right? So this doesn't make sense. It looks like it contradicts itself. Um, and so for, for those of you guys who don't know, I'm in seminary right now, and uh, seminary down the road, Virginia Beach Theological Seminary. I took an exam last Friday, and I literally copy and pasted one of the questions off my exam. I hope that's okay. We might have to take the live stream down after this. I don't know. Like, don't tell anybody. We can, we can clip that part out of the live stream. Okay. It'll be fine. But listen to this. This is the question. I included it because I think it's kind of funny, but also it's so good. So this is going to be, we're going to have you guys participate a little bit. Just give me a hand when it's multiple choice. So give me a hand when we get to the answer that you want to you wanna, uh, embrace. So here we go. Here's the question. What is the best course of action when confronted with a Bible difficulty? Okay. This is option A. Assume that scripture is incorrect and accuse it of containing error. Okay, me and pastors agree. You might want to find a new church. All right, number two. This is option B. Assume that a solution cannot be reached because scholars take differing positions. No hands. For the record, on the line, no hands whatsoever. This is option three. We've got, we're going to get somebody on this one. Ready? Walk away in apathy. 
No, okay, all right, here's the right answer. Assume that you are ignorant. Study and pray diligently until the Spirit reveals the solution. In this case, this, yeah, there we go. Now we got some hands. Now we're talking. (laughs) The solution in this case is to start with the gospel. Now, James lays out three things in these first two sentences. He brings up faith, he brings up works, and he brings up salvation. Now, we know the solution is the gospel. We have to start with the gospel. So let's identify how James fits faith, works, and salvation into the gospel message. So we're going to start with Hebrews 11.1, and this is like the most popular faith verse out here. You've probably heard this before. This is what it says. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, let me tell you what this verse first does not mean. This is absolutely not what it means. This is not saying that faith is some kind of just blind shot in the dark. It's not some general hope that Jesus is going to come through. It's like, oh, I hope he comes through today. No, that's not this at all. That's not what this faith is. This is a confident trust. And we just talked about it when we were singing the songs, right? Why do we know Why do we know that we can have confidence? Where do we get that assurance from? It's because Jesus has proven himself to be faithful generation after generation. Think back on a time in your lives where he showed up for you. That's how you know you can have faith in Jesus. Now, we need to have that faith, but we also must understand that that faith isn't actually the thing that saves us. I think a lot of us can get confused on this. Well, I have faith, so I must be saved. The faith isn't the thing, the faith, the faith is not the actual thing doing the saving. It is by grace. If you're a child of God here this morning, it is by the grace of God that that is the fact. That's right. It is not by anything that you've done, and I think we can get confused on that from time to time. Um, so look, when I was a believer, I wasn't a, I, it, it took me until my sophomore year of college to actually accept Christ into my life, which means that for 20 years, I was developing habits. I was living a sinful life for 20 years. And then when I finally became a Christian, uh, my sophomore year of college, my life did change. I realized that the gospel was real. I realized that Jesus was real. But what had happened, right? We're talking about patterns and thoughts that that, uh, construct patterns in our minds. I had 20 years worth of patterns built up, sinful patterns. So what would happen, right? I would know that I'm supposed to be doing right, but I couldn't do it. I would fail and fail and fail To the point that I was like, God, are you even in me? Like, is your Holy Spirit even in me? Am I even saved? Now, my gospel started to change, okay? I heard the gospel. It was the real gospel. I accepted Jesus into my life. But when I started to fail, my gospel message started to change for myself. This is what it started to change into, okay? Hunter, stop sinning and start doing right. Stop doing these things. Start doing these things. Stop doing wrong. Start doing right. Do you see the problem here? My salvation was completely contingent on whether or not I kept the faith that day. If I sinned that day, I thought, man, God must not be in me. And that is not the gospel. Church, if you leave here today and you get nothing else out of this message, get two things, okay? I'm getting good with the smoker. And number two, this is the gospel. There you go. Jesus is God. That's right. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Jesus is God, means that Jesus came here, Jesus is God, and he came here in human form, so therefore he is holy as God is holy. We are not holy. We have earned our place in hell. We are in line for God's wrath. That's what we've done, but the good news of the gospel, Jesus Christ died on the cross for yours and my sins, and three days later he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death forever. Now, he didn't only die the perfect death, 
He also lived the perfect life. So now that when God the Father looks at your sin, and he sees your sin, he's not blind to your sin, he sees it, but when he does look at it, he sees it through the blood of Christ. And that is the grace of God. That is what renders you worthy of being called a child of God. Now, let me ask you a question. What did you do in that story? What did you do? Nothing. How did you earn your salvation? You didn't. How did you help Jesus when he was hanging on the cross? I want to submit to you this morning that the only thing that we did was help Jesus onto the cross. Mm. We didn't help him while he was up there. So how is it possible then that James can turn around and say, uh, faith without works is dead? How can he relate works so closely to salvation? And where does it play into the story? James is not saying that works are what save you, but what he is saying is that they are a necessary byproduct of the Holy Spirit being in your life. When the gospel message, when the power and the truth of the gospel message penetrates your heart, there is a radical life change. And that is the byproduct that works comes from. Now, when James is asking, when he declares that faith without works is dead, is really this. I think this is a good way to say it. Where is the evidence that the gospel is alive in you? That's right. Church, don't miss, okay, don't miss how strong the language is that James uses here in this passage. Look at verse 17 again. He says, look, a faith like this is dead. That word dead in the original language is the word necros. And it simply means, look, dead. Yes, it could mean that something is actually dead or has died. But it could also mean that something is useless, ineffective, not in issue, or even out of commission. This is a faith that's not working. Church, remember that James is writing to those who are already in the church. He's writing to a church in Jerusalem. He's writing to these people who have already trusted Christ, who are already believers, or at least believe that they are believers. And he's trying to remind them, just like what Hunter was just saying, that grace through faith in Christ saves us from the penalty of sin, but it is when we put our faith into action. When we're living out our faith, that it actually helps us overcome the power of sin in our life. We don't know if when James was writing this, if he was actually addressing a specific situation really happening in that church during that moment, or whether he was just trying to do this illustration, maybe knowing that the church would face this as a challenge at some point. But nevertheless, look, James is challenging this church to not just say some words, but instead to take action. Author and pastor Warren Wearsby, he says it this way. Look, he says, people with dead faith substitute words for deeds. They know the correct vocabulary for prayer and testimony and can even quote the right verses from the Bible, but their walk does not measure up to their talk. So church, do you have a dead faith? Do you have a faith right now that is ineffective, that is useless, that is dead or even dying? Does your faith have any influence on those who are around you? Does the faith that you claim you have actually make a difference even in your own life? Is there any evidence that Jesus has made a difference in your life? Whenever scripture gives us a warning like this or a wake up to correction like this, it wants us to see, look, there are patterns that are developing or have developed. Are you building the right patterns right now in your life? Do you have a dead faith? 
you know, Hunter, uh, James continues on, and he, he wants his church to see more what the possible condition of their faith could be. What does he say in the next couple of verses? Yeah, I love this. Listen to how he picks up in 18. He says this, but someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I, sh- I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Another very real condition of faith that James shows us that this church could have or that we could have is a faith that's wicked. He says that you could even have a faith that's wicked. Again, James is writing to the church in Jerusalem. You know, it was a church that was full of people who were at one point were Jewish believers, but they had trusted Christ. And he was saying, look, you believe that God is one. And that reference for them would have automatically taken their minds back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, where Moses would write, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You know, this is known as the Shema. Uh, that, that, that phrasing in the original Hebrew language that says, hear, O Israel, that word is Shema. And it means to listen intently. But it's not just to listen. It's to listen with the intent to actually obey, to follow a command, really to wholly trust the Lord. And here James is saying, look, like the, the, the Jewish people, they would pray that Shema at least twice a day. They would literally put it over the doorposts of their house. And this was a phrase that they would have known by heart, that the Lord is one. And he's saying, look, you know this phrase. You know there is only one God. But see, even the demons know that there's only one God. But see, the demons, they weren't agnostic. The demons, they were not atheistic. They knew that God was real, but it didn't lead them to live for him. It didn't produce any change in them whatsoever. In fact, that shudder that they had, that little bit of knowledge of God, actually led them to resist God more and more and even to hate God more and more. This was a heavy correlation that James was making to even let this church know that they could have a faith that's wicked or even demonic if it stands in opposition to God. Yeah, and there's more than one way to live in opposition to God. You know, we typically think of it as, oh, I'm choosing to be disobedient, but that's not always the case. Listen to this quote from Tim Keller. I love this. This is, he says this. He says, the demons don't just believe, they respect the power of God. They so much respect the power of God that they can even alter their behavior because they fear his wrath. He continues and he says this, if this is true, it is possible for human beings to believe that God is great and in response to that become incredibly moral. But all of that morality is no more than shuddering. Look, guys, the response of pursuing morality, this response of pursuing morality, because you fear his wrath, is nothing more than an attempt to earn your own security from his wrath. That's right. You know, in other words, this is a faith that's living a lie. This is the person that says, hey, look, I love Jesus. I know the Bible up and down, left and right, but you aren't loving your wife the way that Christ says to love the church. This is a person that has good theology. They know theology through and through, and they can win every single debate, but they won't love their neighbor. 
because they have a different skin color or even maybe even a different political affiliation. This is the person who said, look, I have trusted Christ with everything. I have a relationship with Jesus, but yet nothing in their life has changed. Church, if that's where you are today, and again, we need to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. If that's where you are today, it's been our prayer that you would see that there are these patterns growing in your life. But that is not what Jesus wants for you. In fact, Jesus was saying in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, look, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And you can even bring yourself into alignment with the enemy himself. But Jesus said, I have come that they may experience life and experience it to the full. That is what he wants for you. But when we're living in opposition to him, this can even be a faith that says that even though we say we know Jesus, if we're not really living it out, it's a faith that is wicked or even demonic. See, James shares with us one more condition that our faith could be. He says that we could also have a faith that works. Listen to what he says here again in verses 21 through 26. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, but it wasn't just a belief. He didn't just have this head knowledge. It translated into action. It says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And he says, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as a body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. See, James is highlighting the same thing um, that we've been seeing. It's the same thread that God's been working all throughout the scriptures, all throughout human history. It's this. It's always been by grace through faith that someone is justified. James uses two examples to show the best condition that's of, of faith. That's the, the faith that works. And we're not talking about one that works to just barely reach the bare minimum or one that's okay with mediocrity. No, it's one that's pushing past passivity. A faith that works is driven to action for God's glory. This is a faith that is working for the Lord of glory. Now, he talks about Abraham, and Paul would say Abraham is the father of our faith. Um, what would Abraham do when he would trust God? He would move. He would act. We see in Genesis 12 through 22, that's 10 chapters of the Bible. That's not very many. Abraham is tested 12 different times. 12 different times. And did he, did he succeed wholeheartedly every single time? Of course not. No, he failed. But what would he do? He would always move toward action. He would always trust God. Now, James tells us in verse 23 that Abraham was called a friend of God. That's a pretty powerful statement. Um, but I wonder, too, if James is also trying to make another point. I wonder if James is trying to get his church to see and for us to see today, God's always had this pattern. It's by grace, through faith, that a relationship with him changes us to become who we were created to be, that is a faith that works. And you know, Jesus would say the same thing. In John 15, he says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Listen to this, this is 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. That's right. You know, it's so interesting that also 
So James makes a correlation with Abraham. Everyone knows Abraham, right? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. That's all I know, actually, so I stopped right there. I was hoping you guys would continue on, but thanks for nothing. Um, Everyone knows Abraham, right? Everyone knows Abraham, but the next person he uses as this example of a faith that works is so interesting. Look, he says, he says, in the same way, in the same way as Father Abraham, this friend of God, in the same way also the prostitute Rahab. Now, if you're sitting in this room and you're under 10 years old and you don't know what a prostitute is, you need to talk with your parents or email me at AaronFlug at GoCoso.org if you want to know what that is. But look, he says, in the same way also, Rahab the prostitute was justified by the works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Rahab was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. But she heard of the God of the Israelites. But she didn't shudder when she heard about the God of the Israelites. She heard about who he was, how he was the one and only God. And she let that belief turn to action. And she let that action move in her life, have faith grow in her life, that actually the entire, an entire enemy of Israel was defeated and the nation of Israel was able to grow. And as her faith in God continued to grow, Rahab would actually even become the great, 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 great grandmother of King David. In fact, she was even in the lineage of Christ. Look, these two examples, Abraham and Rahab, look, they were not perfect. In fact, they were actually prone to lying. They, they were jacked up like so many of us are. But the truth is, like, a faith that works It looks like one that in spite of our sin, we still trust God. In spite of when we experience brokenness, we still know that his mercy and his grace is available for us right now, right there in that moment. It shows that when we live this faith that works, that we continue to let God build in us, moving us toward action. You know, there was a, there was a man a few years ago, um, he was, I was doing their premarital counseling. Um, and Hunter didn't let me do his premarital counseling. I'm, not, I'm slightly offended by that, but, you know, it's, it's all good. Um, so, anyway, a few years ago, I, I was doing a premarital counseling session for a couple. And every time I do premarital counseling, I want to find out where people are spiritually. I want to know where they're at in the relationship with God. Again, we need to examine ourselves to see where we're at in the faith. And as I talk with the future bride, she had a clear salvation story, clearly trusted Christ. Jesus was growing things and doing things in her life. She had been moved to action, involved in her church, small groups, knowing the Bible, reading the Bible, everything. When I asked him what his salvation story was, he was like, oh, yeah, I know the big man upstairs. And honestly, anytime I hear that, I'm like, okay, this is a chance to share the gospel. And I proceeded to ask him the question. I said, look, if... If your life were to end right now and and God were to say, look, hey, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? And his answer was, I've never done anything wrong. To which I replied, that would not be it. And just like Hunter shared this a little bit earlier, I reminded him, look, Jesus is God. Look, he created the world. He had a plan for you. And because of sin in your life, that actually pulls you further and further away from God. 
And if you don't do anything about this sin problem that we're all born with, you're going to spend eternity apart from God. You're going to continue to experience more and more brokenness in your relationship, in your life, unless you trust the Savior who was God, who died on the cross, who bodily rose from the dead. And I was sharing the gospel so hard. I mean, I was sweating. I was sharing the gospel so hard with this guy, praying that he would trust Christ. And after that, sharing every passage down the Romans road, John 3, 16, everything, he said, okay, okay. He's like, he's like, I know I've done that. There's been like one time in my life in a church service, somebody said that, and I raised my hand. So I know like I had my foot in the door. And I said to him, I was like, okay, if that's true, if you've really trusted Christ, you don't need to have a faith that's dead. You don't need to have a faith that's wicked. You need to have a faith that works. It's time for you to grow. It is time for you to really love this God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Because if you're going to love this woman with all your heart, you need to love this God with all of your heart. You need to fully trust him and begin to live these things out to see your faith in action. And he said to me, you know what, I'm, I'm ready. I think I'm ready to do that. But, you know, honestly, honestly, like the longer you're in ministry and church, like I, I feel like I hear a lot of people say that, but few people are like, sometimes people just tell me what I want to hear so, you know, they can just move down the road. But let me tell you, in this man's life, may he begin to let God move in his life, move him toward action. There was a few months later after he got married. Uh, we were doing this service in our church. We were calling for people to be baptized. Look, if you've already trusted Christ, but you've never made the decision yet to go public with your faith, to go ahead and get baptized. And that day, he stood up in church, and he got baptized that day. Later on, he joined a small group. He was in my men's group, and he started to grow. He started to read his Bible. Man, he started to invite his children to church. This wasn't a faith where there was no evidence anymore. Man, he knew that Jesus had really changed his life, and it's time for him to start showing it. Church, do you have a faith that is working? Is there evidence around you that Jesus has done something in your life and continues to do something in your life? Where are you today? Examine your hearts. See if you're in the faith. See if you have a faith that's wicked or faith that's working. We didn't have these questions for you in your notes, but we wanted to, to conclude by asking you two questions, okay? So first question is, are you growing? Um, pretty simple question, but I'm going to ask it for you anyway. Are you growing? Um, you know, I was in high school. My friends and I had this game that we would play, and I thought it was hilarious. You guys might not think it's funny. I thought it was hilarious. When you go anywhere with your buddies in high school, right, if you wind up in the passenger seat, the goal would be when, you come to, when the driver comes to a stoplight, to bump their gear shift into neutral without them noticing, okay? Because their foot's already in all the way in the brake. They're at a stoplight. So you can move the gear shift however you want. So the goal would be to like, oh, hey, what's that? Bump. Now you're in neutral, okay? So what happens when the light turns green? You give it a little gas, nothing happens. So you give it a little more gas, nothing happens. You give it a little more. So now you've blown up your engine and there's a line of traffic behind you. We thought it was hilarious. Oh, my goodness. We thought it was hilarious. A little immature, maybe. But the game was to bump it into neutral without the driver knowing, and I think we can do the same thing in our, in, in our faith, in our salvation, in our, in our faith. God, you know, the tricky part about it is that we can be in neutral before we even realize that we're in neutral. We can be going through the motions. We can be checking off the boxes before we even realize that we're not going anywhere, that we're just sitting still. And so I want to ask you this morning, are 
you growing or are you just going through the motions? Don't just go through the motions. Don't just check off the box. Because you came to church today, don't forget what James is preaching as soon as you walk out the doors. Check yourself. Are you growing? Are you so overwhelmed by the power and the truth of the gospel that it's moving you to act? Or are you just going through the motions? That's right. And the second question is, are you giving? Yes, I do mean financially. And yes, I do know that right now gas prices are hovering around $4.99 and $0.09 per gallon. Yes, I do know that inflation is on the rise. But I also know, look, God has called us and he says, look, when we give, he actually gives, he actually blesses us. Look, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. He says to test me in this. And when you bring the whole tithe in the storehouse, will I not pour out on you a blessing that you cannot contain? So there is a heart of generosity that James is pointing this church to. In fact, even the example that he gives is one where if you literally see somebody in need and you have the ability to help them, will you not actually, okay, not just pray for them or utter some words to them, but can you physically help them? Can you give them what they need, whether that is financially, whether that is some food that they need or some type of supply that they need? Are you actually giving to help meet the needs of others? And I know a lot of times when we talk about giving or the example that James gave, our mind probably automatically goes to the person who's standing on the corner holding up a sign saying, hey, can you help with some food or some money? And just a, a rule of thumb that I kind of use as, as a pastor in ministry, as a follower of Jesus, look, if, if I am able to help, I do try to help. I pray for that person, and if I can buy them a meal, I'll swing back around and bring them a meal. Um, or if I, can, if I have some cash on me, I literally give it to that person. Like if we are able to help and meet a need with somebody, we need to do that. But what if we brought this a little bit more personally and closer in your home? Are you giving in your home? What about when you come home from work? And I know it's been a long day at work. But you see that pile of dishes in the sink. And you know that your family's also had a long day. Like, are you going to be the one who gives a little bit more? A little more time, a little more energy to serve your family. I know that you've been working so hard and it's 5 o'clock right now. And it's time to clock out, and you ain't getting paid no overtime. But if you stay for a few more moments and you work alongside people, then everyone gets a chance to go home. And what if you gave a little bit more? And maybe even during those moments, God may even give you an opportunity to share the gospel. It's giving financially, yes, but it's also giving of your time, your talents, and your treasure. Do you have that heart of generosity that God wants his children to have? Do you literally see a need and you're moved to action to be able to help people with their needs? So are you growing right now in this season? And in church, are you giving? And then as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, if you're sitting in this room right now and you've never trusted Christ with your life, and maybe, maybe you, you do have it where maybe you think, you know what, I've, I, I, I know I prayed a prayer in a moment, but you don't see any evidence of that in your life. You don't see any evidence of growth. Man, I don't, I don't want to have anyone doubt their salvation, but I do want to have you have a moment where you nail it down. Because you do, if your faith right now is either one that is wicked, that is literally living in opposition to God, 
If there's one right now where it's a faith that's not working, I would challenge you right now to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Because maybe this is the moment that you need to trust Christ fully with everything and to receive him as the Lord and leader of your life. When you're going to bow your heads and close your eyes, and that's you today, if you're ready to receive Jesus as the Lord and leader of your life, right there where you are, would you just pray the simple prayer? Would you say, Jesus, today, I trust you with everything. Jesus, today, forgive me of my sin. Lord, lead me and guide me. Jesus, make my faith alive. And while everyone says their heads down, their eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life, would you just raise your hand up and just put it right back down? Raise your hand up and put it right back down. Okay? A couple people. And then if you're sitting in here today, I, I, I was thinking about how to end this service. I want all the dads to look at me, okay? If you're a dad, a grandfather, look up at me, okay? And everyone else, keep your heads down. You pray because dad's looking at me. Dads, I just want to challenge you. And I want you to know that no matter what else in the world culture has said about you, look, you are needed. You are wanted. You are important to your family. Look, culture says that you're a joke and you're not needed in your family or the community or the culture or the world, but that is not true. God has called you to be a leader in your home. And even if all of your kids have moved out, man, God has called you to still love and care for those children. He's called you to pray for them, to set the example for them, to be somebody that has a faith that works, not one that's wicked, not one that's not working, but one that is alive, that shows them how to really live for Jesus. And it is my prayer, no matter where you are right now, that you would examine yourselves, but you make this the moment that you choose to be a dad who is growing in faith even now, but you're also a dad who's generous and showing your children, your family, the love of Christ. Father, I thank you, God, for your word, and I thank you for these moments, God, for us to examine ourselves. God, I pray that you would always convict us. God, you would change us. God, you would help us to see any patterns that are building in our lives that are apart from you. God, we need you in every single season. God, help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. God, help us to really to examine our hearts to see if we are in the faith. God, help us to see where we are today. God, I want to declare on behalf of our church that we want to grow. God, we want to be a church that has a faith that is alive. God, not perfect, but one that is honoring you, that is worshiping you, that is moved toward action. God, one that people look to and say, that is a faith that works. That is the faith that I want. And God, I pray that especially for the dads sitting in this room, God, that they will live out their faith to be an example of you, an example, Lord, that shows a faith that is growing and a faith that is giving, a faith that works. We love you, God, in Jesus' name.